to the Telling the Tale podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Farley-Wolf, and I'm here today with Dustin Jackson. Hello, Mitch. It's me, and (laughs) I'm selling these fine leather jackets. You remember that one? I do. That's from Toy Story. Yeah, when Woody has the jackets. When Woody's the jacket. No, it's from uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, which is a different game than what we're talking about by a little bit. We're talking about Tales of Monkey Island, Episode 1, Launch of the Screaming Narwhal, released on July 7th, 2009, as a joint effort between LucasArts and, of course, Telltale Games. Written and directed by Mike Stemmel and designed... It looks like lead designed by Mark Darren, Mike Stemmel, and Dave Grossman, and then additional designers and writers on it, uh, who are Chuck Jordan, Brendan Hugh Ferguson, and Jake Rodkin. And Dustin, just from a reading it out point of view, that's a star-studded staff. That's a lot of people. I I was just about to say, I feel like that's more people than are usually brought up in these uh, intro segments. Yeah, well, you know what it is, is I think... Um, they eventually got in the habit of, like, solidifying what their internal structure is, where there is a lead designer and a lead writer and a director, and this might have been before that calcification, um, mm, because we are okay. going back in time. We, we were just in, like, 2000, as late as 2014, uh, so we're now going up five years before that, uh, back to 2009 when they did Monkey Island, and I'm... I guess that's kind of just all the designers and writers that were on the episode. Okay. Yeah, I, that that makes sense to me. Uh, but all of them are like senior level could lead the team. Uh, because we've seen wow. these names attached to uh, episodes unto themselves. Uh, right, right. I would... I, I know uh, some of them we've heard before. All, all of these we've heard before in past episodes, haven't we? Yeah, Jake Rodkin is half of the uh, lead force, along with uh, Sean Vanneman, behind Walking Dead Season 1, who would then go leave to form Camposanto and make Firewatch, and mm. uh, recently worked on Half-Life Alex. Uh, Brendan Q. Ferguson and Chuck Jordan... And Dave Grossman, uh, they've all been on since, like, season one of Sam and Max, um, at least. Right, and Dave Grossman is a special one because he has been a major player on the Monkey Island series before this. Like, from, I I think it was just the first two games he worked on with uh, Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer. But he's, he's like, the, the big senior guy on this season. Yeah, I don't know if he worked on Curse and Escape, but it's possible he did. Yeah. And that would make him possibly, potentially, uh, maybe along with Michael Land, who is the composer for the Monkey Island series, the only people mm-hmm. who have worked on all of them. Yeah, we have uh, a different composer this time around, uh, rather than Jared Emerson Johnson, uh, just because Michael Land is... kind of who you want for these Monkey Island games. But I like that uh, Jared is still involved in this series. Oh, yeah, he's definitely still... He's involved in a big way in this series. We'll talk about a character that he voices in a bit. Um, Oh. That I... (laughs) That was some foreshadowing there. 
some uh, French <laughs> shadowing, we call it in the biz. Um, yeah, I think we should talk about Monkey Island. I would love to talk about Monkey Island. Just the concept in series before we talk about the episode. Um, okay. Now, I kind of think we don't need to because we've, I'm sure we've talked about it enough accidentally. Yeah. As the podcast has gone <laughs> it, on. Uh, we got, it's come up a few times. It has. We've gotten hyped up about the uh, the return to Monkey Island, which is going to come out later this year. Uh, which also has Dave Grossman on it, so he's not breaking the streak. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Grossman and Ron Gilbert, who is the original creator of uh, Secret of Monkey Island way back in the day, are like the two people heading up Return. Uh, and I think they were also both the two like creative leads on Thimbleweed Park. Uh, that might not oh, nice. be 100% true. I know Ron is, and then I don't know if uh grossman was as involved with Thimbleweed park but uh like he's been at terrible toy box with ron gilbert um Mm -hmm. so yeah we there's like three main big i want to say like the big boys like you know nintendo's got your mario and your zelda and your uh your animal crossing and your metroids and whatever there's I think three real, real big LucasArts-era adventure game franchises they had. Um, One of which was Sam and Max, which was only one game. Uh (laughs) One of which was Maniac Mansion uh, and its sequel, Day of the Tentacle. And the other was Monkey Island. Uh, And I think Monkey Island, especially Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2 kind of became the poster child for like default best most prestigious brand in point and click adventure games very quickly. I think so the, those are the ones that I usually think of first uh all of those you just said but yeah mainly uh Monkey Island is the go to for me Yeah and it's funny that it happened like that because if you look at how many copies they actually sold at the time, they uh, I, I think one and two sold like less than a hundred thousand units each when it first Jeez. launched. Yeah, and they thought that was wow. successful. <laughs> they were fine with that. I guess it was t- like yeah, four guys. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess uh, success is uh, relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, I. I even if it didn't sell like a, a million bajillion copies, it is a pretty uh, prestigious IP. Like even nowadays, people—it's uh, it, not the biggest one out there, but people know Monkey Island. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm sure that this uh, the upcoming Return to Monkey Island will be the best-selling one in the series, almost by default. Um, just because yeah. <laughs> all five of them, including Tales of Monkey Island, which had become the best-selling Monkey Island game. Um, they they were so niche. They were considered so niche at the time, mm-hmm. and their nicheness has sort of snowballed to uh, what's the word like accumulate internet fame, um, yeah. notoriety amongst the people who are into that kind of game. To now that it's like thirty years after, over thirty years after the original Monkey Island game came out. It just feels like they are 
a part of the conversation like a bunch of old retro games were even though these were much less a part of the conversation in actuality at the time maybe uh so now we're we're, we're headed into the golden age of monkey island right as it's about <laughs> to end <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think also yeah. being on the Switch will definitely help it out. Well, we thought that about the Wii with this game, too. Uh, that's Well, and, and it did, didn't it they did. say, like, yeah, at the time, uh, didn't Telltale say that uh, Tales of Monkey Island was their most successful game when it came out? Tales of the Monkey, Tales, the Tales? There's no the. Tales of Monkey Island <laughs> uh, was the most successful game that Telltale put out until Back to the Future which was their most successful game that they put out until The Walking Dead. And I believe The Walking Dead remained their most successful game. Yeah, so it, it was usurped by uh, future titles, but that's still a pretty good uh, that's still a pretty yeah. good thing to say about it. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it, it is still pre-Walking Dead Telltale, so it's a smaller uh, demographic than after The Walking mm-hmm. Dead when it really... Um, blew up and became a name that like oh yeah telltale is just one of the studios you know about in video games uh right but but yeah i i love monkey island same it's a good franchise i love the ones i've played anyway i've played all of them except for escape and i really wanted to play through all of them before we got to tales but i i just didn't have the time yeah i know you played uh the first i played one two and i'm like in the middle of curse okay i didn't try so i'll (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll probably i'm gonna try to finish uh curse before the next episode at least okay yeah i'll I'll want some curse updates from you (laughs) um but but yeah so monkey island is a franchise that is notably unfinished because ron gilbert the creator of the franchise Always wanted to do a trilogy, but then he left LucasArts um, for for his reasons that he's given in interviews since then. He says the reason he left LucasArts was because it bummed him out to be continually beaten up by Sierra. Oh. Um, which is so interesting because nowadays, if you think about, like, would you play an old King Quest game? probably not would you play monkey island timeless sure um yeah definitely they won the long game for sure uh yeah i mean not not to not to shit on sierra or anything they put out some uh good point and clicks as well but yeah i i'm definitely more of a lucasarts adventure game guy yeah uh so lucasarts first adventure game was maniac mansion created by ron gilbert and then the very second one was Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. <laughs> what uh, a good name. Yeah, right? That's just fun to say, Zach McCracken. Um, it's a game that's not talked about very much, and I think it's kind of just because it's sort of just one of them, you know? It's just one of the ones mm-hmm. that there are. Uh, but it's an interesting game historically because Ron Gilbert had put out like a manifesto in between the release of Maniac Mansion and Zach McCracken. And in it, he said, he like laid out all the things he thought an adventure game should be. And this is pretty early. This is pre-89 or something. Um, And he was talking about difficulty. And he, he basically laid the ground rules for, okay, 
you should never be able to get in a death state. You should never be able to uh, completely fail because you did something. You should never uh, be able to, like, use an item in the wrong way and then have it break and then not be able to progress because of that broken item. And a lot of those things are in response to criticism that Maniac Mansion got because Maniac Mansion is just very unforgiving in that kind of way. Right. Uh, Like, there's a hamster, and if you microwave it, it dies and you can't beat the game. (laughs) It does explode. classic microwavable hamster. Yeah, it has, like, an animation, so you're thinking, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. No. No, not really. You have to start over if you microwave the hamster. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, I do not like that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and a lot of the stuff in that game, I think it's just because um, it was very minimally tested, and they they might not have even been tracking the fact that you can get yourself in these, uh, like, permanent fail states and have to start over. But Mm -hmm. after this manifesto, that became the, uh, like, the way that LucasArts made adventure games. And that's sort of... I think of The Secret of Monkey Island, even though it was not the first LucasArts adventure game, it was, like, the fifth. um, I think of Monkey Island as the first real example of that manifesto in motion and mm-hmm. uh carrying it out into the mass pop, uh populace. I think so. I can agree with that. Yeah. The f- the first one that kind of took all of those points into account. Yeah, um it, it's especially with some other things that were being developed in their games alongside that. Uh like I believe the first adventure game of theirs with a look button, a look verb was um Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> Which was very important because I think the look verb has kind of uh, out-prioritized all other verbs when it came time to just make the cursor of a game a cursor with no verbs attached to it. And if you want mm-hmm. to like use item or talk to someone, that's contextual on top of that. But the thing you're using for everything is look. Uh, and Zach McCracken did not have a look button. It was basically only like, if you're doing something to something, you're doing it to that. You can't just uh, get more information about your environment. Uh, right. Yeah. Also, I've, Loom, I've been... Loom is very similar. Came out around the same time as Secret of Monkey Island, but Loom's just a very different kind of game. So it doesn't feel like the prototypical example of it. But Monkey Island really does. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I recently played through it. I have a friend who's been uh, streaming it recently. Um, there's a lot to enjoy about it. It's it's not my favorite in the Monkey Island series, but uh, there is something just very charming about it, and it just it really does feel like uh, okay, we got it uh, right this time, right in quotes, because you, you you know you can always. Mm-hmm improve on it but it it feels like the first time the first one they put out where it just feels like it it just feels right like everything should be the way it is it feels to me very similar to um the way that super mario brothers is not the first platformer at all you could look at pitfall you could look at the donkey kong arcade games that came out before but it is the first platformer that feels 
right and feels like it, it got the <laughs> genre like rolling. Um, I, I, I think of Secret of Monkey Island very similar to that. And it's not just historically important. These games are great. My favorite in the series is still number two. Monkey Island 2. Yeah, I think I have to agree. I, I It's hard for me to say because for a while I was saying Tails was my favorite, but then I replayed 2 and I was like, oh no, 2 is just perfect. But I'll, I'll have to wait and see until after I finish this one. But as of right now, I do ha- think 2 is my favorite one. Yeah. Um, I... I, I want to talk about something that shows up the moment you start episode one of Tales of Monkey Island. Ooh. The moment you start the game, it has uh, some maps floating in the water in the ocean. And the first one has the logo for LucasArts, and the second one mm-hmm. has the logo for Telltale. And because this game is now 13 years old, I think the the significance of that might be a little dulled but that's wild that's yeah no i was thinking the same that's that's incredible because lucasarts um was formed by people who defected from and were laid off from or sorry telltale formed by uh, people who were defecting from and laid off from lucas arts uh studio to the point where like their entire existence was it, it, it was due to the want to make a Sam and Max game. And they did that twice at this point. And then they're like, okay, Sam and Max is pretty good. And we were all really excited about making a Sam and Max game. But you know what we really want to do? At this point, you know what would... If we just did this, th- that would blow people away. A Monkey Island. And then LucasArts is like, yeah, we trust you more than ourselves now. It's such... Yeah. Uh, the at 2009, the company's only been around for five years. And they've mm-hmm. already for sure proven their worth uh, with the first two seasons of Sam and Max. And uh, Strong Bad would have been out at this point. So that's, I, I think that's really impressive. It is. It's it's very impressive. Um, I think, if I remember right, I believe when this game was first announced... Uh, it was announced alongside the remake for Monkey Island 1. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while Telltale was making this, LucasArts was making the remake for Monkey Island 1. So it was kind of a uh, a two-studio attack at revitalizing the Monkey Island series. And I don't know how well it worked. I, th- I think it worked pretty well. I mean, both those things are good to have come out of it. Yeah, it worked pretty well for a while. I mean, we got Tales, we got uh, remakes of both one and two. Mm -hmm. And then it went to sleep for a really long time. (laughs) Uh, And and then now we're... I I guess we're having another renaissance. I mean, we're getting a whole new game for it. But even beyond that, Monkey Island's shown up in uh, a few other small little ways like... uh, there's some Easter eggs for it in Uncharted 4 yep. that are uh, pretty cool. And it, it's a series that shows up here and there, uh, but it getting this new, brand new game is definitely the big one. Yeah, I don't think anything quite reaches the uh, cameo it's had in Sea of Thieves over the last year. Oh, yeah. Which is a bit of a uh, spoiler. 
So I won't tell yeah, you where to sorry. find it, but I will tell you it's in there. I I lost my shit when I found that. Yeah, when the music starts like, playing what? and it's uh, it's Robin exactly. Beaming's cover of Michael Land's theme of Monkey Island. That's good. It's amazing. I, I that hands down is like probably my favorite moment ever playing Sea of Thieves. Like it, it's really not the craziest thing in the world. It's just uh, this cool little uh, thing in the game, but. I think it's probably my most memorable uh, experience just because uh, it made me so happy to see and hear. Yeah, uh, special thanks to our friend Jeff Onan, who messaged me because he is uh, very, very up on all the Sea of Thieves stuff. He messaged me and he goes, hey, there's something that you need to experience for yourself and it's time sensitive because you're going to find out about it. So you need to (laughs) just hop in the game right now with me and let's do it. And I was like, yeah, okay. That and then uh, that's how he was for me too. Was, were we in the same session? Did we find it at the same time, or I maybe I was after you? I maybe you did it with him, and then I did it with him after. I don't. Remember. I, I think I was with you, but I think I did it with just him first, and then. Uh, it, that sounds right. And then I did it with you guys later. Yeah, I. Uh, he he did a very good job because I didn't really know what we were doing. And he, I think I might have even said something at some point earlier in that session or in a different session that was like, <laughs> you know, if they're working with Disney, they really should get Monkey Island because Disney owns LucasArts now. Right. And Jeff is probably saying something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Cool. Cool thought. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it would be like seeing Platonic's logo next to Rares in a new Banjo-Kazooie game. Or I guess if you were into Fallout, that's probably what it felt like with uh, Fallout New Vegas, where Obsidian, the original Fallout people, uh, were working with uh, Bethesda, the new owners of Fallout. Um, mm-hmm. some, something like that. Just coming together after a seemingly angry split-up uh or or a seemingly at least unfortunate split up just to make something cool again that's so cool and it uh monkey island is very lucky to have that not once but twice uh and it seems like returns or return is going to be a a similar kind of thing in that way with yeah, the just... original creators again yeah, just everyone coming together to make something grand. Yeah. So, let's talk about this episode itself. And, Dustin, I'm going to throw to you. Okay. Give me a high-level, um, one-sentence opinion on Tales of Monkey Island Episode 1, Launch of the Screaming Narwhal. One-sentence opinion. One-sentence, huh? Yep. Okay, my one-sentence opinion is... uh. I remembered it being worse than it was and was pleasantly surprised playing it this time around. <laughs> um, mine... Not... I... <laughs> yeah. Go, go ahead. I'll well, let... Before yeah, I... Yeah, I, I just... I, I like yours a lot, <laughs> so I wanted to do one. <laughs> um, I didn't expect it to be this long. how much longer is a full monkey island game than a monkey island episode really 
I had the same thought. I, I was thinking like, okay, well, this is obviously just the first part of the game, but if you are like good at Monkey Island, you could beat it faster than just this one episode. Maybe maybe that's true. Yeah, it's like it's just one island and usually there's maybe two or three in a Monkey Island game. Mm-hmm. Um, so a- about a third of the playtime, but I don't think I'm playing Monkey Island games that get up to 10 hours. And I think that's what it would be if I multiplied my playtime of this one episode by three. Um, yeah, uh, I-, I was, I-, I did remember it being short. I, I do think it, I don't want to say it drags on because I never like had a problem with what I was doing in this episode, but it was longer than I remembered, but maybe it's just because we've been doing, uh, these other, these more modern telltale games that are less about the puzzles and more about the, uh, just choices and, and advancing the story. So those feel a lot breezier than something like this, where you kind of have to stop and think about it. More. I think those are also just genuinely shorter. Um, yeah. Yeah, this might have been the peak of how long Telltale wanted to make an episode. Uh, yeah. Because after I, I, this, they did Devil's Playhouse, which I think felt a little shorter, by and large, per episode. Yeah, some of the time, just a little bit, like a hair. Um, mm-hmm. And then Walking Dead is and the I shorter. Yeah, and I don't remember how long the rest of the episodes are in this season. Um, you know, when we were playing through Walking Dead, each episode kind of f- they were around the same level, but you had some fluctuations. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe what follows will be shorter. I guess it makes sense for this one to be a little longer since you're really uh, just getting it. You're really getting the adventure set up and moving. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, I I think there's also uh, motivation to make this first episode on its own feel like a full Monkey Island game, just to kind of get the old school Monkey Island fans in the uh, in the interest of seeing this game play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can agree with that. Yeah, because it in two thousand nine, I think corporations bringing back old properties are in peak worrying about Phantom Menace era. Like, uh, j- just having an, an old group of fans come around for a new thing, and they uh, just hate they the have new expectations. thing, and they want to only think of the old things as canon. And this is a new company making the game, so it's particularly likely to maybe happen like that. Um yeah maybe just making this first episode play as close to okay there's a island trotting through the jungle scenario you see the voodoo lady spoilers i guess you see um (laughs) there's there's a bit where guybrush can't move and he's stuck in a um like 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 a single spot in the room and needs to be very resourceful to get himself out of the room all the highlights all all the <laughs> the things people come to monkey island for uh yes off, i love when guy brush can't move <laughs> fighting off voodoo using root beer that's a common one mm-hmm. uh you do that being blasted all over the map by a final boss trying to do like one thing at each location that it, it, it's it's very much a like greatest hits almost but in a very condensed space 
Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's uh, to the episode's benefit or not? By the, I'll, I'll say that by the time that this episode ended and we were getting ready to leave Flotsam Island, uh, the entire episode takes place on Flotsam Island for the most part. Um, I was very ready to not be there anymore. We were seeing a lot of the <laughs> same, like, go back to the dock, go back to the beach, go back to the jungle. Um, really, those <laughs> three places, and that's it. Over and over and over again. And at that point, I was ready to just, like, not experience that location anymore. Especially with... Um, you know, something Monkey Island games do typically do, and this one did not as much, just in this episode, is take this area that we're in and then change it up at, like, the halfway point or something so it feels different to explore. Maybe there's an event happening in the world um, where it was a completely unpopulated forest, but now there's people in it or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Have some sort of world state change that affects how things go and I think they tried doing that a little bit with at, at a certain point through the episode, maybe around the halfway point, there's a giant green cloud of disease called the Pox of Lechuk um, that just sort of reigns over the island and it makes everyone on the island develop voodoo-like sicknesses. And it, I think that's what they were maybe going for. Like in the first half of playing through the game, it feels like everyone's here and they're bored, but they're all kind of just having fun on an island they can't leave. In the second half of the game, mm-hmm. now they're sick, and that raises the st- uh, the stakes a little bit. But it doesn't really change much. Yeah, them them being sick doesn't really uh, tie into what they're doing. No, you don't use that at any point. It, it's it feels like it should have been for a puzzle. I would wager that early in development there were drafts of like. Okay, what are the sick people puzzles we're gonna do? Um, we have this doctor, <laughs> this uh, the doctor, the Marquis de Sange, who lives on like in in the biggest house in the dock. Uh, there's a bunch of sick people. There's a there's a doctor who is like an evil scientist experimenting on sick people. That's great. Let's put them together somehow. And then they kind of didn't. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a missed opportunity. But I do like Flotsam Island. It's very, um, it's just your typical Monkey Island island, and that's kind of fun to see. Yeah, I uh, I really like Flotsam Island. I I do agree with what you're saying. We spend a lot of time here. Uh, they don't really change it up as much, but it never really bothered me just because I really like this island. Just just the way it looks, just the way like the buildings look. I I just really enjoyed. Uh, the way it was, even if there's not really anything particularly interesting about it. Uh, I don't, maybe it's just coming off of Walking Dead. I'm like, all right, well, now we have this yeah. uh, cartoonish style. This it, We're on a sunny island. And everyone's, even though they're stuck on this island, everyone seems like pretty okay, I guess. So, I, I don't know. I had a smile on my face in this episode. And I, I really think... Uh, the art direction goes a long way in helping uh, it not feel too boring being here so long. Because, yeah, this is the one place you are in this episode, but I, I just really like how it looked. Yeah, I will say that coming off of Walking Dead Season 2, something I missed immediately was just having something that we could, like, uh, 
sink our teeth in during a conversation. And I think we've talked a lot about just Monkey Island in general up to this point in the podcast. But I'll, I'll tell you, mm-hmm. I don't really think I have that much more to talk about in terms of like <laughs> narrativity and gameplay design in this episode. It's a very traditional point-and-click adventure episode. Um, and it's yeah, cool. It's got a and- couple cool puzzles. I don't think there's anything here I haven't seen before, though. Yeah, um, we we discussed, you know, kind of going through the greatest hits. So it, it's been so long since I played this that I don't remember if they really change up stuff after this. But um, yeah, I think it still does it in a pretty good way. I mean, there's some flaws here and there. I think the thing I remember most about this episode is... A lot of the characters looking pretty similar to one another. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so sometimes they change like the beard, or sometimes they change the skin tone a little bit. Um, but let's see, Reginald Van Winslow, who is the captain of the Screaming Narwhal, and later uh, usurped to uh, so that you can become the captain, and he just becomes the first mate. Uh, mm-hmm. he's a great character he, I, I think he's Winslow's he's wonderful, wonderful. Um, Reginald Van Winslow is I think the same character model as uh, Davy J. Nipperkin with a skin color change and like a clothing change yeah and they shaved his beard off they shaved his beard off and they have the same walking animation which is hilarious because at one point you see uh, them, like, pass by each other on the dock. Uh, there's not even an effort to disguise that. <laughs> and it, In fact, it looks it's like the they went out of style. their way to point it out. Yeah. I, I will say I feel like this is the main thing I think of uh, anytime I think, uh, boy, I'd love to see uh, Skunk Ape handle a remaster for this game in the same way they did Sam and Max. Because with Sam and Max, they did do some model changes, and I feel like they could totally uh, do that here as well. I would keep them pretty similar, though. I, I think it would be uh, <laughs> just just in, in reference to the fact that they were once the exact same model. I would keep them kind of similar. <laughs> At least similar enough. Yeah, uh, I believe the guy that gets kicked out of the Club 41, the, the bar... And the uh, glass blower are the same model as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and someone else who uses the same model as uh, Winslow and Nipperkin is uh, the treasure hunter. Oh, Doro. In the jungle as well. Yeah. Yeah. Doro is the same model. So that's uh, five, five characters who use two models between all of them. Uh yeah. Wow. <laughs> I guess they it, thought it's, it's not fine. great. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, I will say I do like all of these characters. I think even if they use uh very few models just with change-ups here and there. There's not a character in this episode I dislike. Spoilers for our segments. I don't have an unweekly guy this week. Just cuz they're all if they're not like bust a gut funny, they're all they're still at least charming. Hmm. Okay. I don't think I have one either. I I think that it would probably just be 
either the guy that gets kicked out of Club 41 or Doro or I don't know. It's like at that point, they're just such minor characters anyway that I don't want to pilot on them. Yeah, the guy who gets kicked out is named Hemlock McGee. I think I'll give it to him, too, just because the only thing he does is he gives you the eye of the manatee later. So he I guess if there has to be one, it's sorry, Hemlock, nothing personal. There is a monkey that gets off on being electrocuted in this episode and i just <laughs> that's true. i don't like him jock i don't like him he can be you the don't like jock i don't like jock oh i like i like jock I, but i just horny. like monkeys too horny for me <laughs> that's i get it i understand <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so okay the plot of this episode we're 40 minutes in yeah let's, let's start at the <laughs> beginning because there there is uh it's the way it starts is pretty interesting because it throws you in like you're the way it's supposed to start is you're being thrown in at the end of a monkey island adventure you haven't seen yeah i believe curse kind of starts this way too right like in the middle of a lechuk Um, encounter kind well that one comes off of uh two where guybrush is escaping oh right um, right okay yeah, here it's supposed to be, there was a whole adventure that happened that you just didn't get to see, and you're coming in right at the end. Right. So, at the end, or at the beginning here, we see Elaine's tied up on LeChuck's ship. LeChuck is going to sacrifice a monkey. It's like the legendary 13th monkey of something. <laughs> um <laughs> And he's like, once I kill this monkey, then I'll be, that'll be cool. <laughs> it doesn't, I, I don't really think they explain that whole story or like what's going on with that at all. Uh, and then it's some sort of huge voodoo thing. <laughs> then Guybrush shows up and he's coming off like a decade of very successful, not worth mentioning, uh, pirate adventures. <laughs> and he's got a, his boat's hull is full of treasure and he's looking good. It's the best Guybrush 3D model of all time. I think it's the best design for Guybrush in general. Yeah. I, I think it takes all the best elements of uh, Guybrushes in the past. If if you look at him, it looks like he has like his uh, original shirt and pants. And then he's wearing his coat from two. And uh, he has a nice goatee. Uh, the hair is great. It, it's just a perfect Guybrush. If Guybrush ever got into Smash, uh, he won't, but I'd love it. Uh, yeah. This is the design I would want him to have. Definitely this design. Um, don't use this to uh, continue hating the return design. It, that one's weird, but like it's fine. And we don't tell Ron about it. Hashtag we do not. We don't tell Ron what we think about Return to Monkey Island. We just say <laughs> thank you for the new game. Thank you. Um, that, that's always been this podcast's motto. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Here's a question for you, Mitch. Okay, yeah. So, LeChuck here. LeChuck, yep. What voice did he have for you? Okay, so this is a bad question for me, because I just don't know. Um, okay. I'll tell you how I well, got this the... episode, and then you, may, you might be able to tell me what voice he had. Um, okay. I just downloaded this episode off of my account from when I bought it on the Telltale website back when it came out, 13 years ago. Mm, okay, I'm... 
I, I don't really know if it would or not, but so when this game first came out, uh, LeChuck's regular voice actor, who at this point had voiced him in uh, Curse and Escape, uh, Earl Bowen, he did not come back to record LeChuck for this. Uh, I think he was just like busy or something. Uh, and so he was not LeChuck. Adam Harrington played LeChuck here. Okay. But they... Earl Bowen did come back later in the season to come back as LeChuck. So they re-recorded the first episode with him re-recording those lines in this first episode. Is it just episode one? Yes. Uh, I I would wager I got it. Because I I think Telltale would update which version of the game they're putting out on their own website. Yeah, so the way I'm playing it is... um, after the season was completely out, um, do you remember how if you had bought the season, mm-hmm. they would just send you the collector's DVD? Yeah, I got mine over there on my game shelf. Yeah, me too. But I got the special edition for it. It like comes in a box with a bunch of uh, extra stuff. It ha- it has the uh, amazing uh, painting by Steve Purcell uh, for the box art. That I think that's the one um, I have too. Yeah. I, th- I think that's not the one you would get for free. I think because it comes with extra stuff, you had to pay for it on top of... I, I might season, have done that. That sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I There was no way I couldn't have that. And uh, for that version, it came with uh, the Earl Bowen re-recorded LeChuck. Uh, but I remember he- hearing... I forget if I just watched it on YouTube or what, but... No offense to Adam Harrington, but I am glad they re-recorded it. And this actually kind of ties into uh, Return to Monkey Island a little bit as well. Because uh, Earl Bowen is not coming back for Return to Monkey Island because he's retired. He's just, uh, he's like 80-something now. So Mm. he was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, But he gave him, (laughs) but he gave him his blessing to uh, recast and they recasted him with Jess Harnell, who's a uh, very prominent voice actor. He's been in uh, tons of things. Um, and he does he's doing like his own take on LeChuck. That's not... He's not trying to sound like Earl Bowen. He's kind of doing his own thing. And after comparing them all, I think it's probably the best choice. Because Adam <laughs> Harrington attempts to just be LeChuck. Like he's trying to do Earl Bowen... And unfortunately, it just comes across as, like, diet Earl Bowen. Like, you just know it's him trying his best to sound like him, but he just can't do it. And it's to LeChuck's detriment, because that's just what I was thinking the whole time I heard him. No offense, he does a fine job, but uh, I like that Jess Harnell is doing his own version of LeChuck. And I am also glad that Earl Bowen came back to re-record for this first episode. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what it is, but the only voice from the entire Monkey Island series that I can even picture in my mind most of the time is Guy Rush's. So, like, if you told me this LeChuck was wildly different than past LeChucks or exactly the same, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would be able to, like, know that. Um, that, that one's a hard I, one for I, me. I get that. I notice it just because... Um... Le- Captain LeChuck is probably my favorite villain in anything. Whoa. 
like anything ever anything ever made i think uh lechuck is like a perfect balance of i don't want to say goofy but he's you still laugh at him he still has jokes but he's always a threat he's never like a diminished threat like uh you you have super wacky villains out there like uh dr cortex from crash or dr robotnik from sonic even bowser and they really joke him up from time to time uh and that's great i like when they're funny but a lot of the time it kind of makes him less threatening as a result and i never feel that with lechuck he's always like the scourge of the seas he's always like this guy will kill you and have fun doing it um (laughs) and so and part of that i think is uh his vocal performance it's just such a distinct deep voice he's like brush." like it's not just your typical pirate voice it's a very specific kind and uh i like that a lot yeah i i think he's a, a really strong presence uh in in this especially but all the time i think he's the strongest mm. presence probably in curse the way they draw lechuck and curse is um particularly gross looking to me uh but in a way that fits and, and makes sense <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh so um yeah go ahead uh well no no you, sorry you go ahead i was about to talk about root beer oh no go ahead i had nothing i realized that as soon as i said um i was like okay where's this gonna go <laughs> well um you gotta you gotta spray some root beer on a sword because that's what kills voodoo <laughs> and then you'll finally yeah. have killed lechuck which is kind of interesting because it's you that means that you're not just being dropped off on the end of a monkey island game you didn't see you're being dropped off on the end of the one that would have killed lechuck forever yeah this was supposed to be like the ultimate monkey island endgame yeah uh <laughs> So he find Guybrush finds some root beer in a monkey coffin that I don't <laughs> I don't understand that is that is that a reference? No, I think they just needed a way to like teach you. Okay, <laughs> grab this, you can use it, and then there's a thing inside. Okay, yeah. So there's a monkey coffin, and then you hear it sloshing around, which is a good reason to not open the monkey coffin in my opinion, but it turns out to be root beer, which is the better option for sure uh, to be inside a monkey coffin sloshing around. And with, with, you need to fizz it back up because it's flat, so you put some breath mints in it, and then it fizzes mm-hmm. way up, and uh, Guybrush just looks at it, and he goes, whoa, Fizz City, which is maybe... <laughs> that's what really got me on board. <laughs> uh, have you seen now we're talking you've seen the first episode of nathan fielder's the rehearsal yes there's a delivery of a line that he does in that episode where he first enters uh his target's apartment for the first time where he looks at a bunch of doors next to each other and mm-hmm. says whoa you got door city over here <laughs> and uh, i love that and that's exactly how guybrush felt to me in that moment looking at fizz city inside that root beer you know what something i'll say about guybrush uh i feel like his voice actor really sells a lot of his lines like yeah. guybrush has funny lines but i feel like the delivery is what uh really sells some of them dominic and guybrush 
Armado. Armado. Dar- Dominic Armado, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He, Yeah, he kills it. And uh, so far, the only voice of Guybrush, he's coming back for uh, Return. And boy, am I glad for it. It's, he's really great. And I, what I think is amazing about that is he's not a voice actor. Yeah, I think like the only other role he did is a voice in Rocket Power. He's uh, he's a chef. Yeah, his his main job is as a chef, but he just also is sometimes the voice of video game legend uh, Guybrush Threepwood. Uh, Yeah, like not just (laughs) any old video game character, like one of at least to me, one of the most iconic video game protagonists of all time. Yeah, at least to you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, in, in the world of adventure games, probably way up there, right? Um, yeah, I'd say he's like the one. Pajama um, Sam, Putt Putt. That's true. <laughs> uh, so um, he loses. The you know what? Well, hold on. Okay. Let me say one last thing about uh, Dominic. I I already told you I've been playing through Curse of Monkey Island as well, and playing them side by side, he does like a million times better job here. Like. He he's fine in curse, but he's a little flat. He's always like, "Oh, there's a cutlass. I better go pick that up." <laughs> and here he gives Guybrush so much life. He really grew into the role. Yeah, yeah, I I think that that's totally true. At this point, he hadn't been doing the voice in like nine years, right? Because uh, I guess I don't know if he recorded voice for this before or after um, the one remake. Um, but like, yeah, it it had been a a nearly decade long break from doing any voice roles at all. And then he just Mm -hmm. comes back and he aces it. He's great. He's, he's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, he is not good at holding root beer. (laughs) Uh, he, he messes up the recipe. He's not able to, to blurse the enchanted sword in the way that he wants to. So uh, he finds some other roots around and some grog instead of beer and puts those together and tries to make root beer. Yeah. Big yeah, mistake, a line here, Guybrush. I really... Ooh. Uh, there's a line here I really enjoy. Okay. Um, when... <laughs> when... <laughs> cool. Sorry, I was waiting for permission, I guess. Go for it. <laughs> um... So after he drops the root beer, Guybrush needs to go over to Elaine's ship that LeChuck is on. And Guybrush says, I heard, I sure hope there's some on Elaine's ship because mine's as dry as a bone. And not one of those wet bones. I'm talking a dry, dry bone. That was a good line. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his, uh, his, his new fizzy root beer that he makes out of the gross fern and the grog is not good and uh, it's not what he was supposed to do so he dips the sword in that thinking it's gonna work and what do you know it doesn't work it just gets rid of the voodoo from lechuk and sucks it all into guybrush's hand uh and that is the impetus for the i guess the whole season after that guybrush's boat sinks with all of his treasure uh elaine gets thrown from the ship there's a big explosion, and that's that's uh we're now we're off to the races. <laughs> LeChuck becomes a human LeChuck. 
LeChuck is a human. Uh, Guybrush and Elaine are separated. Guybrush's hand is all voodoo-y and bad. Uh, There's a very long history of protagonists in, like, fantasy epics losing a hand or getting something bad happen to their hand. Luke Skywalker does it. Uh, Finn from Adventure Time does it. Um, I might have named the only two I could think of. Uh, (laughs) But it, it is a thing that happens a lot. Uh, and I wonder why. I wonder why that's a thing that happens so often. It's cool. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Um, there's Captain Hook as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, pirates have missing limbs all the time. Uh, Link in the yeah. new Zelda has a messed up hand. And that's it, that's the list, he? man. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's anything more <laughs> that's all you need to say about it other than a lot of characters lose hands (laughs) (laughs) pretty cool neat uh yeah i don't think it's any deeper than that probably it's maybe like the only part you can lose completely and then have it be replaced with a, a a machine that like um believably can replace it without having your protagonist um be severely removed from agency later in the story yeah definitely you you can uh you got two hands and the one hand you lost you can replace with something really cool yeah like luke skywalker is not fighting any worse because of his missing hand exactly um yeah so you wake up on flotsam island and dustin this place sucks <laughs> For, i guess to be there though it's it's fun exploring yeah i like it um but no one here really wants to be here there's a wind all the wind blows inward which means no ships can leave um i i, I think that we should try a 30 second we're, i'm bringing down the time limit from what we did before 30 seconds Ooh. Explain everything that happens at a very high level before Guybrush leaves the island. Okay, do you want me to do it or do you want I would like you to do it. (laughs) I'm going to bring up this challenge, but you're the one who has to do it. Okay, okay, uh, say go and I'll go. Okay, go. Guybrush reaches Flotsam Island. He needs to make some pirate news for uh, Davy J. Nipperkin to tell him uh, the location of Deep Gut, someone on the island who might be able to help him get off the island. Guybrush does it, various uh, adventure game puzzles, uh, and then he meets the voodoo lady who tells him uh, she has a recipe to change the winds. Uh, You meet the Marquis de Sange, who wants your hand. Uh, Guybrush escapes, and he has to... Figure out. Okay. <laughs> uh, pretty good though. I, I think so. So Guybrush, Guybrush is like abducted by the Marquis de Sage at some point, uh, who wants to cut off your hand uh, completely. Yeah. So that he can just do like some weird kinky experiments with it. Um. So between making the news for that Nipperkin guy, uh, getting the screaming narwhal, so you can just have a boat. Uh, reconvening with the voodoo lady who tells you about the pox of LeChuck and how Guybrush now has it 
and you need to go see La Esponja Grande, which is a giant sponge. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that can soak up the pox of LeChuck. I made a note here that the drawing of La Esponja Grande that the voodoo lady shows Guybrush looks very Devil's Playhousey. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's the same artist who yeah, sure. did like all the 2D artwork. I really like that art style. I don't know which artist same. that is. Um, same. I'll need to look into it, but it's super cool. Yeah, I, I would love to find out um, because that's a cool look, and I don't think it exists in very many other things. Uh, it 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 made like collecting Telltale stuff at that time, especially with Tales and Devil's Playhouse. Uh, just feel like a very unified, cool collection of things. Yeah. Um, I know one of the things they released for Tales of Monkey Island is um, a tarot card set. Yeah, yeah. Um, with very cool artwork. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, and then, like, all the movie posters for Devil's Playhouse. Yeah. Those are great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I wish I was I making think a video they game. Also- <laughs> I think one of the other things they did for Monkey Island was they just released like a folder of prints of artwork for the game. Like they had like the standard artwork of Guybrush giving the thumbs up. It's like it, it's just like concept art prints. And I remember seeing that in the store and saying, I need to own this. Yeah, that was and I did cool stuff. You did. Good job. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I, you know, I was practicing. Um. Yeah, so you need to go see uh, the giant sponge. That's not this episode. You need to reverse the uh, pox of the chuck. That's not this episode either. You need to go find Elaine. That's not this episode either. What you can do <laughs> is find out why all the winds come into the island and reverse it. It turns out that it's the Marquis, uh, the Marquis de Sange is doing. Uh, he's just such a crazy, weird scientist guy that wants more patience for his uh, his doctor's office so he can get more limbs, I guess? Uh, yeah, he, he just wants to dismember pirates who come into him. Yeah, that's, so his, he can that's his favorite thing. Do his thing. science. Yeah, I mean, who can blame him, honestly? Uh, so so you, you find that out, and you solve a bunch of adventure gamey puzzles to reverse what he's done and have this giant uh feature of the island that's like sucking all the air in blow out which does spread the pox of lechuk out across the entire uh gulf of melange so whoops that's yeah that's gonna come up later but it does allow you to leave (laughs) it does allow you to sail away uh so you do and that's one thing i do like about this episode is not only do you have like the episodic plot you have what you're trying to do in this episode but it really starts setting up like the overall story bits yeah there's this uh foreshadowing of a character named morgan lafley uh who is a pirate hunter right you find the flyer yeah sort of like the van helsing for pirates (laughs) instead of vampires yeah uh, and, and the the marquee finds the flyer and is like, oh, okay, let's see, I can hmm. hire this Morgan Lafay to bring in Guybrush Threepwood. Okay, maybe maybe we'll do that. <laughs> um, 
so so while you're sailing away, this is the very end of the episode. You convince Winslow to uh, sail to the uh, Rock of Gelato, which I believe is supposed to be the Rock of Gibraltar, but like that's a very different part of the world. So I guess it's just we're just it's just a funny name for a rock. Uh, it's just a fun little thing. Yeah. Uh, so you go back to the Rock of Gelato and you find a boat with Elaine in it and you think that she's uh, like kidnapped and in distress for a moment. But then LeChuck's in the background and he gives her a flower and she's like not upset about it. What? What? Now, What's... now Guybrush's no. wife is maybe being flirty with LeChuck. That's wild. That's a crazy thing. Not having it. <laughs> no thank you uh and then the episode ends on a cliffhanger because uh someone's got guybrush at sword point they've snuck onto his ship and you don't see who it is but it's a woman's voice and that's the i've episode. got chills <laughs> yeah up until now they usually uh tease the next episode like after the credits uh that you know, they're usually like, or, I bet you can't wait for next month, but this time they actually work the work it into the story. I don't know if that yeah. was like a super common thing they did before this. Uh, we've got a to-be-continued in the Siege of Spinner K, like title card, but we don't see any uh, scenes or anything. I know it was a thing that they used to do before this, uh, because they did it with Sam and Max, and then they did it after it with The Walking Dead. Uh, so they just that's true did not do it just because i guess <laughs> um so so yeah there's there's a lot of cool moments a lot of cool like adventure game sort of puzzles here uh in, any that you want to specifically circle in on um well there's a few so the first thing you have to do is you got to make three different news stories for uh, Nipperkin. He he needs you to seize a ship, start a bar fight, and find some treasure. This this is kind of like an homage to the way the first game starts, where you have three tasks you have to do. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess that's not super uncommon for most adventure games. Sure, but, but I, it I think it's specifically interesting. specifically felt like... It's interesting because in the first game, it's... Three things that you need to do to even become a pirate. Uh, like, you are you are proving you want to be a pirate as much as you say you want to be a pirate. So you need to go do these mm -hmm. things that pirates can prove they can do. Uh, and in this game, it's established, oh, you're a pirate. I need three evidence, three pieces of proof that you're a pirate. Because you're just going to do things that pirates do. But really... What he ends up doing is, I, I think it's like almost showing the tail end of the arc of the pirate of Guybrush Threepwood, because instead of trying so hard to be seen as a pirate, he's just accidentally pirating, and he's making all the people around him more piratey, uh, because yeah. the, the buried treasure puzzle with Doro... Um, you, you can't find buried treasure. You can't be the person to find it. Uh, because it doesn't exist anymore. So what you do is you make some treasure. You make a uh, a very collectible porcelain power pirate doll named Dark Ninja Dave. <laughs> and then you bury it in the ground. And then you get Doro to dig it up. 
Uh, I really like the name Dark Ninja Dave. I love the name Dark Ninja <laughs> Dave. Yeah, it's so good. Um, <laughs> and and Doro is, is sort of fanboying over these porcelain power pirate figurines. And he's talking about how much he likes Dark Ninja Dave and how much he loathes Pink Pajama Pierre. <laughs> he has his opinions already figured out. Yeah, uh, which is... Only one of several anti-French sentiment things in this episode. Uh, I wonder who's feeling a certain way about the French in the office. Oh, boy. But this this puzzle isn't, like, particularly hard, but I did like it. Yeah. I, I guess that it's... It's pretty self-explanatory what you're supposed to do with the sounds of each... Uh, exit leading you where you need to go but you know it's fun i like that that's not all there is to it you have to uh get the action figure figured out for him and um at at first i was a little confused because i didn't really get uh the first part of the map you're supposed to hold the map over the wishing well in the jungle mm-hmm. um and at first that just wasn't really clicking for me i I was just thinking, like, okay, well, I guess I just start here where I'm, mm. where I first got, because it shows Guybrush's hand holding the map. So I thought that meant start where you get the map and go from there, because you can do that if you gotcha. go by the animals on the map. You can go exactly the paths it wants you to go from there, but um. No, you're supposed to hold it over the wishing well. And so I just did a little exploring until I found the well. And I was like, oh, like the thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I like that this is a pretty basic puzzle, but there's like multiple steps to it to make it more interesting. Yeah, I don't think I like how potentially difficult to find the wishing well is. Uh, because like, if yeah, you're you just have map, to do some exploring. Yeah, I I don't I think that you should be given an idea of like okay, well if you can figure this out of like oh, I need to give a map to a wishing well. Um well, I didn't see one. So, I don't know. Cuz you can get really lost in that forest because it's uh it's non-deterministic. You can go like one way and then back the same way and not end up where you started. Uh, yeah, so it's the, the good thing about this is through. yeah, the good thing about this is they have a uh, button you can press that'll just bring you back to the entrance. That's cool. That is, that is a nice thing. Uh, yeah, um, I yeah. I think a way to tighten the puzzle up would have been to put the wishing well like right near Doro, because mm-hmm. like then it would be more obvious where you're supposed to start. Yeah, Doro should have been in the wishing well area, I think. That's I think that's He true. should have been inside the well. Doro sure. Doro should have been tossing <laughs> pink pajama pierres down the well. Oh, because he has so many? Yeah, he's sick of pink pajama pierre. So Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a man hate something more. I loathe pink pajama pierre. That's a quote. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you figure it out eventually, and it's, uh, I don't want to say it's, like, the best puzzle in the world, but it's okay. It's, like, for this first, your first starting out puzzle, but you also have, uh, 
a puzzle where you need to steal the screaming narwhal. You have to usurp Reginald Von Winslow as the captain. You kind of almost don't want to just because he's such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you gotta. That's the game. That's um, just how it goes. That's just how it goes when you're a and- LucasArts. <laughs> one thing is all of these puzzles kind of tie into one another in a way because in order to knock Winslow off of the ship you have to find uh the mini bombs in the jungle and in order to get the uh to fool Doro into thinking it's Dark Ninja Dave you need to get the little plastic cutlass from Club 41 and in order to get into Club 41, you have to find Winslow's membership card. So you t- tell me the the relationship Club 41 has with WiiWare. Okay, so I believe... I this It's been a while since I've looked it up, but I believe this is the story. I might be missing some small details, but... Um, so when Tales of Monkey Island was first released, it was being released alongside... It, it, it was on the PC and WiiWare at the same time. And the reason this club is called Club 41 is because you cannot see the inside of this club. And the reasoning for that is it would put the game over 40 megabytes, which was the limit for a game on WiiWare. Yeah, so they so just sort of give you the result of going through that club as soon as you're able to go in it just sort of sells it. it it sorts itself out and it's not much of a puzzle yeah i guess the puzzle is just getting in uh, which mm-hmm. also isn't that hard you just have to find the one thing um yeah so this this is the easiest part of these puzzles definitely true uh starting a bar fight is automatic and it's it's kind of another instance of well guybrush isn't the one that dug up the dark ninja dave Doro is. And Guybrush isn't really the victim or major instigator of this bar fight, it seems. His hand kind of is, but it seems like yeah. they were at a tipping point because he didn't do much. Yeah, they were already uh, pretty tense before he entered. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also a reference to a Monkey Island 1 scene where you're uh, you like go in the back rooms of governor marley's uh mansion where you're just given a bunch of verbs at the bottom of the screen of things you might be doing like punch rhino hit sarcophagus and like you just are, are <laughs> yeah it's uh, hypnotized quarrelsome rhinos yeah <laughs> uh you'd love to see it but it just it's in the background and, and you're you're not the camera's not there uh but boy would it be cool if you could see it so yeah, it's it's not like there's a difference in the WiiWare version of the episode, though. It's just this way because the whole game had to match the WiiWare version. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they didn't want it to be different, so they just did not have the room to put an interior for Club Forty One, and that's also why it's called Club Forty One. Yeah, the Wii was on some bad stuff <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, like Super Meat Boy yeah. was supposed to come out for WiiWare, and then just couldn't because. Uh, they were trying to negotiate like, okay, it's like 50 megabytes instead of 40. And (laughs) Nintendo would absolutely not make any 
constellations for an indie? Are you kidding? There's a Reggie fils quote from that era where he talks about indie games as being like, look, we're not going to change the way we do things because there's some particularly annoying people making games in a garage somewhere. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, like it's very offensive. And especially seeing how the indie game market went and kind of became the Switch's uh, like lifeblood after mainstream AAA games just can't be on the Switch anymore. It it feels weird to remember that there was never that there was ever a time where they were treated so poorly. But yeah, forty megabytes. That's it. No more. Absolutely yeah, no more than that. That's all you get. That's a small game. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, good on them for being able to cram even this much into that. <sighs> Maybe games should do that again, though. <laughs> i'm stuck between thinking <laughs> I, it was I know a huge imposition and also thinking yeah that's kind of cool though let's make some really small stuff yeah let's force people to do that <laughs> yeah um i really liked the puzzle that you get into when the marquis de Sange locks you in the operating table same i i i love that part it's uh it's not really difficult it's it seemed pretty like natural just figuring out what you're supposed to do but it just all came together so well and it's just this fun little puzzle it's nice yeah you can only do a couple things uh you you can turn all the way around in your table and you can lean back or lean forward and you're basically looking for guybrush's pointy boots to be able to touch something so there's like some floor pedals that control the electroshock therapy on this monkey and there's a bell that also makes the monkey do something and uh just through manipulating this monkey across the lab you're able to retrieve the key to the operating table and then leave on your own once you do that by the way there's a really funny moment where like you stand up from the operating table and the marquee comes back and the marquee just says hey sit back down and guybrush says no (laughs) and and because he's just not locked there anymore and the marquee is not armed seemingly there's not much that he can do about it and guybrush just leaves (laughs) yeah he doesn't even attempt to stop him (laughs) yeah he's not very physically powerful i guess so it's just uh he was just looking for an opportunity for guybrush to lie down on his own and then he would just really quickly flip the switch that locks him in and that's the most he can do. <laughs> yeah, he, he figured he was done after that. So, um, the Marquis de Sange is voiced by Jared Emerson Johnson. A very yeah, different voice he, than I think we've a... seen him do anything. Yeah, well, who else did he voice? He voiced the cops. The cops but I don't is the big one. Really... All four of them. Yeah, did he voice anyone else after the cops? Uh... I, I'm sure he did. I don't know who it would have been, though. Yeah. Well, he does a great job here. He does a great job here. Um, he's He's got a lot of range as a voice actor. Yeah. For someone who totally. also this, this is not a voice is, actor. Yeah, this voice is, like, totally different than any of the cops. And I'll, I'll just say, cops included, he just kills it with, like, all of these characters. I love the cops. And, and the marquee is, like, such an amazing performance. Yeah, I think Bob from the cops, just the, the, the phone call 
um, and Kurt from the cops. Two of the best, two of the best voices in Telltale history. Definitely. I am Siad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good stuff from Jared Emerson Johnson there. Uh, yeah, this character though, I don't know how thrilling I think this character is as like the landmark villain for an episode. Okay. He's fine. I don't know. What do you think? That that's funny. I actually thought the opposite. I thought he was a, a great change of pace. You don't. Uh, I don't recall any other Monkey Island villains really being like this guy. And I I think it's I think if it were just him, it would be underwhelming. But I think knowing like okay, well, LeChuck is still like a threat out there. Um, so this guy I think works as like. I, I like that he's so different from LeChuck, but you have, like, two totally different villains to worry about now. Mm-hmm. But if this guy were, like, the main villain of Monkey Island, he he would be pretty underwhelming. But I think he works here. I think he works in the role that he's filling. I think he works here. Something interesting that I find about the Marquis de Sange is that he is dressed exactly like Guybrush, except... It's all white, but it's the same jacket mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, e- even down to the fact that he's got like little sw- like gold swirls in it. Guybrush has those same swirls in his jacket. Oh wow! I didn't even notice that. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the same. It's the the same cuff shape, the same jacket shape. It's probably just another element of like, hey, we gotta get the number of polygons on this uh, game download to be way less than 40 megs. So we got to reuse character models and I guess clothing models sometimes maybe. But uh, I didn't even think about that. That's probably why they just reused character models. I don't, I don't, I don't know why don't that know just never is. occurred to me. Maybe yeah, it, well, it, it makes sense. It depends on how they're stored because if like the clothing and beard and stuff is part of the model, then it doesn't actually save any room because you still need to make a complete double of it. But yeah. if it's not, then that would be an interesting save. Yeah. Um, the Marquis de Sange fills a similar role to uh, Largo Legrand in uh, Monkey Island 2. Yeah. Where he's not, not the main villain, but a good... It gives you an antagonistic force before you get to uh, LeChuck. Yeah, maybe uh, General Skunkape as well from, like, Sam and Max Devil's Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, although that happened uh-huh. later. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he he's a uh, pretty good character. I do think the Jared Emerson Johnson's performance of him really elevates him as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's true. Just the, uh, just the French accent and everything is a uh yeah a great very touch. over the top yeah super over the top um i i guess where he kind of falls a little flat to me is just this final um encounter in the jungle where you're going around to all of these totems um you need to appease four wind gods in order to fix the <laughs> wind statue uh, that feels very Sam and Maxie. Uh, Sam and Max hit the road almost. Just the, the tone of mm-hmm. doing that. And as you go around to each one, 
the Marquis shows up and shoots you with a gun that is, I guess, is just <laughs> like an air gun. I guess so. Yeah, and it just blows you across the, to the other side of the island. Um, and and uh, just how he handles that, I, I think, is it's like LeChuck, because that's a LeChuck thing. Where you're going around yeah. to different parts of the island, and then LeChuck shows up and he shoots you, and then you just like fly to another part of the island. That is in Monkey mm-hmm. Islands one and two at least, um, and it's showing up here. But it's just like it's just showing up in like a weaker way than LeChuck because the character is less ambitiously evil than LeChuck. So I don't know. It, it's yeah, it's, I I I do think that works though because this is still like. It is the big climax of this episode, but it's still the first episode, and he's not LeChuck, so, you you know, he he would be a weaker presence. It is still the first episode, but then I'm drawn to thinking of, like, Sam and Max episode ones of a season, or Walking Dead episodes one, episode ones of a season, where, um, especially, like, season one episode one of Walking Dead, um... Which is hard to compete mm-hmm. with, admittedly. But it, it doesn't feel like a fifth of something. It just feels like, yeah, that was a lot. And we're we're hitting a climax of an important story on its own right here. Yeah, it, it doesn't really feel like you're hitting the big finale of the episode. Mm-hmm. As, as, like some other episodes that Telltale's done. Yeah, it, it also just like goes on after you beat the Marquis for quite a bit. With, like, two different scenes in the Screaming Narwhal as you're sailing away uh, before the credits actually Yeah, roll. that's strange. It, it's a bit... That is... It has a good climax, but it just, like, sort of lets it soften out by showing you some other stuff for a couple seconds. Yeah, I, I did think that was a little weird, but I, I, I don't dislike what came after, but I totally agree with what you're saying. It does... I think I brought it up before about how, do you remember how in Banjo-Kazooie they were originally going to have, uh, after Gruntilda hits Banjo with her big nasty spell, uh, <laughs> he was going to turn into a frog and to- you were going to have Tootie collect like some mumbo tokens to change him back to normal. Yeah. I think that would have, I don't want to say that would have ruined the game, but I do feel like it would have been a very bad idea. And that's kind of what I think of for this. Not Definitely not to the same extent that would have been. I feel like that would have been a disaster, but here it is kind of the same thing where you finished the final quote unquote puzzle of the episode. You want it to feel like that's the final part, but here you get like another puzzle afterwards mm-hmm. and it's a li- it, it's not even like a hard puzzle. It's doesn't take time at all, but it is a weird place for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. Um, I think it might have been better if they had saved it p- to be, like, the first puzzle of the next episode. Because those are meant to be pretty simple anyway. You know what this does very, very well, though, compared to maybe anything else we've played? Is what? really feeling like a complete adventure game on its own in one episode. Um, yeah, totally. Some, like, season one Sam and Max stuff do that. Because they, I think they feel like they have to because they don't have their footing yet of, like, what do we do with this season? Um, mm-hmm. But then as they just let the seasons get more ambitious, the individual episodes feel, I think, a little bit less like they need to carry the entire, like, uh, not really emotional weight. Because I don't think there's anything emotionally weighty the story does. 
but the just mm-hmm. the epic feel of going from the beginning of something to the end of something. Uh, this feels like a yeah. full adventure game in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, y- you feel, uh, even just playing the one episode, it feels pretty complete, which I guess is exactly what you just said. Um, Dustin, I think that we might want to head into our segments. I know we talked about some other things we wanted to talk about, but uh, let's just head in there. Let's get all up in there. So first segment, we're bringing it back. Here's linguistic gymnastics. So Dustin, we were talking about doing this a different way. Let's not do that. Let's do it the normal way. (laughs) Let's just do it the normal (laughs) way. Yes. Um, I, (laughs) there, there's a, there's a glass blower in this game. And he's got an alphabet sale going on where he's making, he won't say neon lights because that technology is after this time period, but he basically is making neon lights, uh, neon signs. And due to his alphabet sale, he's stuck outside just constantly yelling at basically no one, free vowels, get them while they're vowels. I was going to say that one, too. That was, like, my first one. Yeah, I love that line. That's good. I knew that was going to be a Mitch line as soon as he said it. Uh, g- give me one of yours. Give me one of yours. Uh, one of my other ones is actually with this same guy named Gaffer Crimp Digit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, that's his name. It, it's... yeah i like that all of the pirates on this island have goofy names like it would have been easy for them to just be like npcs like uh click on them and it says talk to pirates but no all of them have names but one of my favorites that's not that one you just said is when you're done talking to him guybrush says uh thanks for chatting but i've got a wife and arch nemesis to get back to and he says i who doesn't yeah (laughs) he's gone through some stuff as a pirate <laughs> there's a story to it. Uh, there's a jail that you pass by in the uh like first half of the town and jails are traditionally very important in monkey island games although it did not seem to matter in this case um and he guy i guess guybrush thinks it looks creepy it looks fine to me um <laughs> but he goes whoever put built this jail really wanted to put the burr in brig <laughs> that's something that it, it, the next time i see a jail in real life i'm saying that <laughs> hey whoever built that jail cell put the burr in brig yeah and everyone will be like what um <laughs> what is that and mean? there's another moment where uh he interacts with that jail cell and uses a wheel of cheese to get the imprint of a face off of the jail cell um <laughs> and when he does that, Guybrush says cheese and then like moves his arms in uh, the same way that Wallace does when he says cheese. Yeah. A throwback. That's fun. To the then very recently released uh, Wallace and Gromit game. Yeah, was that? I feel like that was the one right before Tales of Monkey Island, right? Yeah, I think it was season two of Sam and Max and then Strong Bad and then Wallace and Gromit and then Monkey Island immediately. That sounds right. Can I just say, I I really don't want to shit on Wallace and Gromit. I enjoyed it enough, but boy, am I glad they improved after that. Like, I would say this is better than any Wallace and Gromit episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I think so, too. And I 
I think that Strong Bad is probably less ambitious per episode of like what it's doing with the adventure game stuff. But there's so many mm-hmm. things in those games that make it feel like you could just play this episode like over and over again for the month because you can do different stuff mm-hmm. and like you can find all these little secrets and play the the mini games uh that in comparison Wallace and Gromit just feel so small. It feels so basic compared to even games beforehand, yeah. Before or after, yeah. Not Yeah, I not to shit on Wallace and Gromit. I liked it enough, but yeah, I am glad that uh it wasn't a sign of the quality of this game. I, I yeah, I liked it um, enough, I guess, but it, it's just when it, it's not outwardly. I'd still bad, put it pretty down there. It comes out when something like that comes out, and you're just stuck, like not engaging with it. it that can feel rough. Yeah, it, it just doesn't give you quite enough to think about it very hard and uh, like it very much. It just exists uh-huh. in the ether. I'd rather have that than right. CSI. Yeah, like, I, I still had a good enough time playing Wallace and Gromit, which is more than I can say for uh, CSI. For the most part, CSI, the last one we did still had uh, its ups. Yeah, the last one that we did had Marty Party and uh, yeah, exactly. Boogie Feet, so that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm really hoping the next CSI has something like that. But uh, the next one I have isn't really a lion, but I just love this scene so much. It's after... <laughs> oh, I'm laughing just thinking about it. It's after you uh, bury Dark Ninja Dave for uh, Doro, and he finds it, and he's so excited. And he starts going, Dark Ninja Dave, Dark Ninja Dave, and the both of them are just dancing to it. <laughs> yeah, that's not a lion. Like, it, that... it makes... <laughs> It, it it makes it makes sense for him to be dancing because he's so excited. But Guybrush joins him. He, Guybrush, Guybrush just is wants him also to be just happy. dancing. Yeah, they're both so happy, and it's so funny. Um, but here's one that's an actual line. It's after you push uh, Reginald Van Winslow off of the ship, and um, you know you've become the new captain, but he's happy for you. He's like, "Oh, splendid, guy, Master Guybrush." And he says, now, if you'll excuse me, I have some massive internal hemorrhaging to attend to. That's some good cartoon stuff. That's yeah, a good he's just so line. happy. Yeah, he's he has these internal injuries, but due to his cheery personality, he's just like, all right, Guybrush, well, I better take care of this. I'll see you later. So let's move on to our okay. weekly guy. Mine is Reginald Van Winslow. It's so hard for me. I I Really? Because well, just because Guybrush also is he has so many funny lines in this episode. I was cracking up at Guybrush and his model is so good. But Reginald Van Winslow just makes like an amazing first impression. I I'm oh. hoping that we'll see a Guybrush later this season. That for me is going to make it like like a good Guybrush personality episode. That for me just makes it, oh, yeah. he's got to be the weekly guy this time. Because uh, I don't think I, that was I this think week I'm for gonna, me. 
I I think I'm gonna agree. I I'm gonna go with Reginald Van Winslow. He's such a good character. I don't see him coming back for uh, return. No, I don't either. Uh, <laughs> it would be cool if he did, but it makes me just want him to be like Guybrush's permanent sidekick. Yeah, <laughs> he's great. Well, I so I think with return, right? Like it's gonna draw characters from three, four, and five. With this season mm-hmm. being five. Uh, but it's not going to have characters that, like, we know for sure it was the first time Guybrush met them after or right. like, during this 3, 4, and 5, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember... Um, the What's the skull's name? I, I always forget it. Murray. Murray. Does it show Guybrush meeting Murray for the first time in Curse? In... Yeah, because at the beginning, uh, he blows up some of the uh, boats with uh, LeChuck's skeletons on them. And that's how Murray uh, becomes just a skull. Okay. So we do have an origin of Murray. And Murray is in return. So that's weird. I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Is Return secretly just after everything? It might be. That's what I was just thinking. Because I know he said uh, at the time he wanted the third one to take place right after two. But since then, it sounds like he's kind of... like I thought that they didn't bit wanna... was the immovable bit. I thought it was always going to be... It's going to be after two. It just might incorporate later things. That's interesting to think about. Yeah, it would be interesting if Return was just, like, Monkey 6 now. Yeah, if it was Monkey Island 6, hmm. maybe, like, it starts right after 2, and then there's a big time skip, and then it's after Tales. I could That'd see something weird. like that. This that I You know what? I'll say it right here. I think I'd be happy either way. Like, if this takes place immediately after 2, that's fine. If it takes place after Tales, that's also fine. Um... But I am very interested in seeing where it goes now. Yeah, okay. That has made me a lot more interested in, like, the plot-related elements of Return to Monkey Island. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm also going to give it to Reginald. What a great character. And I I guess they knew because they made him the host of the Poker Night games, too. I didn't mean to talk you out of Guybrush. No, well, no, I totally agree with what you said. Guybrush, uh, there's plenty of time for Guybrush. Even if he doesn't end up being one of the weekly guys, I think Guybrush is just such a strong character. He's such a likable character. Um, Mm -hmm. That I am okay with giving it to a character that is also very likable. So who, or sorry, what is your golden moment? The puzzle in Desinja's lab. That is also it's, mine. It's yeah, it's just a, a fun puzzle. It's not even like a complicated one, but like it feels good to figure out how it all works. Uh, it's interesting the way it's handled. How he can't just move around. Uh, best puzzle in the episode. Yeah, this happens a few times throughout the Monkey Island series where Guybrush is like stuck in one part of a room. But I think the part that it very much reminds me of is in the monkey island 2 scene where lechuck's got guybrush like hung over a cauldron like a boiling cauldron oh 
yeah him and wally yeah wally's wally's there forget about i forget about ancillary monkey island characters like nobody's business i can forget any of them um um well i just recently played through them so i remember but wally also shows up in uh curse at the beginning as well yeah wally had some staying power out of nowhere kind of he was in the trailer for return as well yeah that's so wally weird, turns weird out to wally. be a hardcore monkey island yeah, character good job yeah. i guess um <laughs> so the uh yeah that was just a good moment that's my golden moment too yeah uh wow two for two where we have the same answer okay potent pickup i have i don't know if this is going to be the same but it might be i'm saying the parrot no not mine not mine. Okay, cool, Ooh, cool parrot though. Talk about I just love parrot. that parrot so much. Yeah, it's a it's good, just fun. I like him. It's the uh, it's the pyrite parrot that can remember any one line, and of course, Guybrush accidentally triggers it just by introducing himself uh, yeah, in the same way that right, he does all the time. It's me, Guybrush Threeboard, mighty pirate. Um, my f- I did have a bug with this. Oh yeah, uh, parrot though. What what is it? Uh, it it wasn't a it wasn't a huge one. It was just uh, it seemed like he would say it once but then in that same cutscene, if he had to say it twice it just wouldn't play the audio oh that was mine too yeah it had the subtitle for it so you knew he was saying it but for some reason it just wouldn't play the line if you said it like twice in a scene yeah i I totally also had that so that might just be i I mean i'm I'm, yeah i'm glad it's not like this huge bug but interesting all the same um no mine is the youtube Ooh. So, um, I don't know what joke about YouTube they're trying to make. <laughs> it It is a joke <laughs> about YouTube, but it's just from the glass blower. He says, do you want a vowel? It's free. And Guybrush says, yeah. And then he throws him a U-shaped tube. <laughs> um. <laughs> I like that this was the last vowel Guybrush wanted, too. He says, a U? What about A-E-I-O and sometimes Y? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how much does he really want I? I is not a complicated <laughs> shape a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, that's a tube. Yeah, this is at least bent. <laughs> yeah, this this one's at least interesting. An A does seem like the hardest one. It's got a cavity in the middle. Yeah, it. I think of the A tube and I'm thinking like, this reminds me of the tubes in Super Mario 3D World. Hmm. <laughs> you know the ones you I go do. through. <laughs> um, yeah, I just like. This I guess tube. that's all that thought had. You use it to yeah. put on the Marquis' gun, so it does a Looney Tunes and shoots him in the crotch. It's interesting that this is like one of the very first items you can get, and it doesn't come into play until like the very end of the episode. Yeah, it's it's totally one of those items that's made to make you just keep checking your inventory the whole episode of like. Okay, do we use the YouTube now? No. Okay. Do we use it now? Mm, it's like, when yet. the hell am I supposed to use this? Yeah. And then just like near the very end, almost at the very, very end, it comes into play. Um, Yeah, that's our episode on Tales of Monkey Island Episode 1, Launch of the Screaming Narwhal. Yeah. Um, At the beginning of the episode, I said I remembered this episode being worse, and I was pleasantly supply- surprised playing it. And... I think that's a good sign mm-hmm. because I remember my opinion at the time being that 
the first two episodes of the season are not the best. There, there's some stuff in them that are a little uh, not great. And then the rest is like home runs all the way. But even just replaying this, I thought it was pretty solid. You know, it had its flaws, but I had a great time playing it. I, I think a lot yeah. of it just has to do with liking the setting and characters, though. Kind of like Strong Bet. Like, the puzzles the puzzles are good, but like you said, there's nothing here that, you know, we haven't seen before. But they're just nice. It's just a nice episode. I had a really good time playing. It got me really in the mood for Return. I'm really excited for that game. Yeah, same. I guess that's I kind of like... an insult to say the game got me excited for another game. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean it like that. Uh, it's it's just a, a fun series. The characters are great. The tone yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's our episode. Great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, Dustin, I'll see you next time, I think, on Tales of Monkey Island Episode 2, The Siege of Spinner K. That's going to be telling the tale 69. Wow. This one's You know what? That... You know what? That might be pretty perfect because I think this next episode gets pretty horny. I'm excited for that. So get ready. We'll see you next week. Bye.